Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, an RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. It has been quite a week, has it not? It has indeed. Our Patreon is off to an amazing start, Nadia. It is. Um, I'm really excited with how it's going, and uh, I really hope it continues. I really do, too. Thank you so much to everybody who has been supporting us. It's been a huge amount of fun. It's been really fun to see so many people from US Gamer migrating over, joining our community. And I think the thing that's been the most enjoyable is watching our Discord just go crazy. It is an amazing community over there, isn't it, Nadia? I was worried that, oh God, we're going to make a Discord and it's just going to sit silently and cold all day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't sure what to expect from the actual activity on the Discord, but it, I don't know, we have like a, at least 100 people online at any given time and a solid core of like 20 or 30 who are talking pretty much constantly. It's really good. And yeah, the community is just really into it. There is a channel called Cute Town where all of the cat pictures are going. <laughs> <laughs> yes, people were very much on Cat's butt until she finally implemented Cute Town. They were like, we need a place to put our cats, Cat. And Cat finally said, fine. We also have a Final Fantasy XIV channel where everybody is bullying me into playing Final Fantasy XIV. We absolutely are. Kat said that if we reach $5,000 a month, she will get into Final Fantasy XIV, which means uh, I and possibly Mike can drag her across Eorzea. So, uh, or as I describe it, Catboy hell. So please, <laughs> please give us money until I can throw Kat into Final Fantasy XIV. Thank you. Make me suffer, everybody. Please do. And of course, we have launched the Pantheon of the Blood God and the Television of the Blood God uh, miniseries. And we kicked off voting last week for Pantheon of the Blood God. We have four possible games, Lufia 2, Grandia 2, Witcher 2, or Mass Effect 2. It's all of the sequels. And the voting is underway in earnest. And so far, it looks like it's a dead heat between Grandia 2 and Lufia 2 because our community is just a bunch of weebs, Nadia. They totally, totally are. They are my children. I'm looking at the the Japanese options and going, yes, yes, more, (laughs) more. And once the voting will close, if you listen to this podcast right when it goes live, there should be a couple of hours left for you to be able to go in and vote your heart. So if you're a Lufia 2 stan, go on in and go do that. But once we decide which game we're going to play for the Pantheon of the Blood God, what we're going to do is we're going to launch a game club channel over on the Discord. And then we're all going to play together. We're going to talk about it. Probably going to stream it a bit. It's going to be great. So, I mean, the community is so much fun, Nadia. It is. And I think the community that plays together stays together. So thank you again so much to everybody who has been supporting us. The Patreon is off to an amazing start. The new era of Acts of the Blood God is off to an amazing start. And we love each and every one of you. Yes, you. Even you. Especially you. Especially you. (laughs) Okay, Nadia. This week on Acts of the Blood God, we are going to be doing our 2021 RPG preview. There's a lot happening this year we may be getting a new final fantasy nadia we may be getting elden ring we may be getting starfield though i doubt it and we may be getting well we definitely are getting a mass effect hd remaster for one two and three thank god i mean they're already in hd but you know all of the bells and whistles the modern version so it's about dang time i gotta say 
yes, the as you say, the modern version, the the gussied up version, which uh, I think will finally make me interested in playing the series. I mean, I still can't believe you haven't played it, Nadia, because that series is so you. It's so your series. I know. It, I know it's definitely one of those series where I look at it and say, huh, I would love that. And yet here I am <laughs> over here. You really like fan fiction, right? Oh, yeah. Nadia, this game, this series, it's fan fiction incarnate. Oh, I know. I know. And uh, I'm still a little mad you can't uh, romance Rex, but uh, it is what it is. Why Rex? I don't know. He's cool. He's all bulky lizard, like mad at things. Like I can relate. (laughs) What? He's such a grump. I know. (laughs) He needs a hug. I guess he does. Okay. Before we get to that, though, if you want to support the Patreon, go to patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. $5 level will get you access to the television of the blood god. $10 level will get you access to the pantheon of the blood god. And if you support us from the $1 level, you can access our wonderful, wonderful Discord. It's so good. So come on in and be a part of the Blood God community. The Blood God welcomes you. You get a cool title. So if you're like at the $10 level, you're the Dragoon of the Blood God. I really like it. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. Everyone knows Dragoons are the best, so there's your best option. And we're the high priestesses of the Blood God. It's, it's a whole dang ecosystem that we've managed to create. Yeah, you can't be High Priestess. That's for Kat and I. Sorry. Axe the Blood God also has a Twitter feed now. We periodically post updates on the show there. We post clips from the episodes. And also Nadia sometimes retweets shit posts. So there you go. <laughs> I noticed you retweeted my Final Fantasy fourteen thing about Amrick being lost in Playland, McDonald's Playland. We will try and keep abreast of RPG anniversaries and RPG news as well. So it can be a handy resource for you. And a great way to interact with the community. We also have an Instagram, which I will try to update sometimes. Uh, I will try to dress up my cats as RPG characters and put that on Instagram. And uh, I'm sure they will absolutely love it and not scratch my face off for trying. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And we also have a Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash catbaileytv. The day we launched the Patreon, Nadia and I were starting a Final Fantasy VI playthrough. And I have to say, the community in there was great. We had almost 100 people watching us play Final Fantasy VI. Nadia was walking me through it all. It was a amazing time. It was. I had a really good time because I will look for any excuse to play Final Fantasy VI, even remotely. And I was just advising Kat on where to go and what to do and uh, who to kill. And it worked out <laughs> quite well. It really did. I think you got me some really powerful items. You guided me through some of the more annoying sections, like fighting Ultros and having to deal with the, what was it? Oh, having to save Terra from the advancing Imperial Guards. I hate that section. But you're like, no, no, just rush them down with with, uh, Mog and do the little dance thing. And I'm like, oh, that all makes sense. And then we had that... um, extremely close call against Sabin's uh, rival. Oh, right. Against Vargas. Because uh, you were yes. down to six hit points. And uh, yes. I don't think we saved before you took him on. So that yeah, we didn't qu- see. We did see the save point. <laughs> we kind of missed that somehow. So that would have been quite the disaster. Anyway, we had such a good time that we're going to keep doing it. So please follow us over on twitch.tv slash TV and keep an eye on that. Or you can find updates on the Discord. Okay. Let's continue on to the RPG 
news. Nadia, first item of business. Hold up. Persona soundtracks are over on Spotify. Persona 3, Persona 4, Persona 5. I think Persona 1 and 2 are in there as well. That's a heck of a lot of Persona listening. And I listened to the first song on the Persona 4 soundtrack and I was immediately like, I'm in. Yep, yep. Uh, it's not just Persona. I think they also did Catherine as well. But it's all there and it's all streaming and it all sounds great. So if you have Spotify, by all means, dive right into that. I got to get the playlists on uh, feed. There's just one exception. It seems like Persona 4, per, Persona 3 Portable is not there, which is a total bummer. Oh, does that have like a, a kind of a, an upgraded slash separate soundtrack from regular it Persona does. 3? It has uh, special music, uh, especially if you're playing as a girl. I think it has its own battle theme. Oh, neat. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's really a shame it's not there yet. That is a shame. So that is a little bit of an omission. But otherwise, Persona's music is so good and it's so good to have it properly on Spotify. It's actually kind of shocking that it hasn't been there until this point. I find a lot of JRPG soundtracks are a little bit uh, MIA from Spotify, which is annoying. I know that I've been waiting for Shadowbringers soundtrack to be on there for months and I haven't seen it yet. It was kind of annoying finding the actual music, though. Like I yeah. tried to Google it. And search around for it. And finally, I discovered that actually the track names were all in Japanese. Yeah. So um, it just went up eight hours ago at the time of this recording. So maybe uh, maybe they're still working out the kinks. I don't know. But yes, it is there. You just kind of got to dig for it a bit. Uh, Persona Q Shadow of the Labyrinth is on here. That's such a good soundtrack. I have not played the first game, but it's just... I love the intro song so much. I kind of want to play Persona Q2, honestly. It's like Etrian Odyssey, but kind of more streamlined and with like more fun music and fun characters and everything. I did not finish it, but I really enjoyed what I did play of it because you had the characters interacting with each other. So you had things like Kanji teaching uh, one of the characters how to, I think Anne, how to knit. And he's just like, see, you just do this, 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 and this. And then Kanji also just went freaking bananas when he saw... Morgana, who is, of course, a cuddly little cat, and Kanji can't really resist cuddly things, so he just cuddle bombs Morgana from time to time while Morgana struggles. Next time of business, In Exile, the studio behind Wasteland, which is now owned by Microsoft, is working on a AAA first-person RPG in Unreal 5, according to job listings. Given In Exile's preference for isometric RPGs, it should be interesting. Yeah, so a first-person RPG, so they're basically going full Skyrim, I guess? Yeah, that's my impression, because I think Bard's Tale 4 was an mm. FPS in the way that it was, a, sorry, not FPS, but it was a first-person dungeon crawler, but I don't think it was a AAA project. This certainly sounds like a next-gen, big-budget, AAA, Unreal 5 thing that really could end up being the next Skyrim or something in that vein. Bard's Tale 4 was surprisingly pretty, so I I just don't think that it got paid much attention to, because it was a fairly... Niche, niche PC RPG. I know that we didn't give much attention to it on Axe of the Blood God. That's that's because we're a bunch of weebs over here. So, <laughs> Unfortunately, there are just so many RPGs and so little time to cover them all. But it's just enacting Phil Spencer's master plan to effectively have a gigantic RPG every single freaking year. If Obsidian isn't making one, then In Exile is is making one, and if In Exile isn't making one, then Bethesda is making one. So, or Playground Games, somebody is going to have an RPG every year, and you know what? Honestly, I'm there for it. If we're going to have an RP, a huge ass RPG every year, that is good for business for the Blood God. 
Yeah, it really is. And I think at some point, if you are a fan of Western RPGs, and of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, you are going to have to consider getting an Xbox uh, Series X or S at some point, because that is where a lot of RPGs are going. Never thought I'd say that, but if you want RPGs, you got to get an Xbox. Uh, well, I mean, J- uh, Western RPGs, Western, JRPGs absolutely. are going to be on Persona, uh, Persona 5, on PlayStation 5. <laughs> they absolutely are. But I think that w- almost all the Western RPGs are, are going to be found on the Xbox. And it certainly was not the case uh, last generation, but this generation is going to be different. I was just sitting here going, toss a coin to your blood god, O Valley of... Oh, no. Because <laughs> we're, we're doing the Witcher Netflix flicks watch. So I've had that stuck in my head forever. Yeah, now you, now you put it in my head. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I do what I can, Nadia. <laughs> I know. Speaking of Microsoft, I love this story. So we just recently got a big Microsoft oral history over um, Bloomberg. And apparently Microsoft back in 2000 was trying to buy all of the Japanese companies. And apparently they tried to, they inquired about buying Nintendo, who, quote, basically laughed their asses off for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) I love that visual. I know it literally wasn't them being laughed at for an hour, but I can just picture Nintendo like, chuckling like why are you even here why are you wasting everyone's time it's not happening i mean they must have probably just listened to the discussion and said hmm interesting interesting so anyway we want to buy nintendo hmm interesting mm-hmm. interesting <laughs> there's the door you can so use is it. there any interest in us buying uh nintendo hmm interesting <laughs> <laughs> that's no. the japanese equivalent of laughing their asses off for an hour but basically uh, and get this, Microsoft also apparently tried to acquire Square in 1999. So, man, things could have been very different if Microsoft had been able to buy these Japanese companies. And honestly, for the worse. Yeah, I'm definitely glad they didn't get to do that. I don't think it was ever in the cards because Microsoft certainly did not have a huge presence in Japan at the time, at least not in terms of their consoles. And what I'm interested in, though, is Square because they approached Square in 1999 and Square was in a pretty healthy place by then. But it wasn't to last because I forget exactly when The Spirits Within came out. But after that happened, which was quite soon after 1999, everything kind of tanked for them. So if if Microsoft had come calling and said, hey, we want to buy you, maybe they would have said yes. And then we would have had Square making Connect games. <laughs> no. God, uh, no. Jeez. Can you imagine? Uh, yes, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I'm still mad that Crimson Dragon the follow-up, you know, spiritual follow-up to Panzer Dragoon was a Kinect game. And a, what is it with all these? I want a dragon flying game. And people keep giving me, like, Kinect uh, games and, and Six Asses games. And uh, just give me a, 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 a... Let me control a dragon normally, please. That's all I'm asking for. Thank you. Give Nadia her dragon that she can, can control normally. Gosh there. darn it. That's not hard. It's not a hard ask, but no one seems to be able to give it to me. Speaking of Nintendo, apparently DSiWare is no more. Yes, it has been discontinued. Nadia, I did not own a DSi because I was annoyed by the regional restrictions when it first came out. I played a lot of Japanese games, still do play a lot of Japanese games. So there was just no way that I was going to go through with that. But apparently, you know, DSi had its merits. I mean, it certainly was a big help to way forward back in the day. It really was because DSi is where Shantai got her resurrection through uh things called Ritsuki's Revenge yeah I played that on the D because I had a DSi at the time Nintendo sent me one I was the 
Nintendo DS guide for About.com back when there was an About.com. So I played some of the quirky little RPGs that ended up there, and it wasn't exactly a huge market by any stretch of the imagination, but there were some interesting little kind of retro sprite-based RPGs living there. And looking back, it's almost like a precursor to how developers would experiment with RPGs on the Switch. So I do appreciate its place as a kind of an instigator to all that. But uh, a lot of the games on there, barring Shantae, weren't very good. Uh, I am a little sad that it's shutting down because, again, this is not a win for game preservation. So uh, that's a shame. But it is what it is. We all know how this industry is by now. Continuing onward... There's a good chance that Elder Scrolls 6 takes place in Hammerfell, according to a cryptic tweet Bethesda made in the new year. There are a million through-the-looking-glass theories that dive into why it might be elsewhere, like Akavir, which would be cool because it's full of furries who eat people. I'm reading your notes directly. <laughs> I wanted to go to Black Marsh, but at this point, it's almost definitely not happening. Nadia, why did you want to go to Black Marsh? Because that's where the Argonians live. I want to oh, go with the, the Argonian. the lusty Argonian maid. The lusty Argonian maid lives there. It's also yeah. a, a land of marshes and just poisoned water and land. And it's just a really dark, grim, gross place. And I want to go to a nice, gross place because Hammerfell mm. is a desert. Eh, I've been to deserts. We don't go to marshes that often in RPGs. The swamps are gross and uncomfortable. They're the sewers of RPGs. I have to say going to Black Marsh would be interesting because according to the Tamriel lore, the Argonians are one of the only species that can live there because it's just a perpetually poisoned place that will kill a lot of living things. But the Argonians have natural immunity to the poison. In Monster Hunter 3, they have a area that's a lot like that, actually. And honestly, I freaking hate going to that particular area because it's so <laughs> gross. The ground is covered with bones. There's poison gas everywhere. Um, there are lots of like lizard creatures that want to poison you. It is actually kind of an obnoxious spot. So I don't know if I'd want an entire game based around something like that. Yeah, I'd probably get annoyed after a while, but I do want to just visit Black Marsh and maybe not stay there. Just visit Black Marsh. Uh, I guess Akavir sounds pretty good too, because I like the idea of going to a land of beasts where it's, everything's kind of wild and untamed. And, uh, there are apparently snake vampire people there and they will eat you i think that's pretty cool and compelling where do the khajiit live uh, i looked that up i can't remember which province uh, elsewhere i think they live in elsewhere not hammerfell not hammerfell unfortunately because i was like oh, okay well if we're going to the desert at least the khajiit are there oh okay they're in the other desert i think elsewhere was also the last expansion no skyrim was the last one the one before because mike was going absolutely crazy about how the the Khajiit are come in so many different sizes and shapes. Like you can be a Khajiit who's a house cat or a Khajiit who's a mountain lion. It all depends on the moon you're born under. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. Hammerfell is a desert location. That's where the Red Guard live. And I don't know, I'm a little mixed on the notion of spending an entire game exploring a desert location. I hope that they have reasonably varied uh, kind of terrain. I'm, I'm a snow person. I'm a mountains person. I want to see mountains again, Gandalf. So I was always... <laughs> <laughs> kind of into Skyrim, people are like, oh, it's really generic. I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's snowy and gorgeous. I don't care if it's a little bit generic. I don't want giant mushrooms. I want snow. And But Desert Sands, that's not my... I don't dig it. That's kind of why I didn't play Assassin's Creed Origins back in the day, aside from the fact that it's Assassin's Creed, was I was like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want to go hang out in the desert. I don't like the look of the desert. I don't like the clothes of the desert. 
I would much rather be bundled up than wearing, you know, whatever the heck looks good in the desert, you know, being shirtless or something. And <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I am not super in on Hammerfell, gotta say. No, I feel very much the same way. Desert environments are my least favorite, one of my least favorite environments. I hate the sun. I despise the sun. My parents took me to a, a tropical place in the Dominican Republic. I stayed under a tree the whole time I was outside. <sighs> Something about the sun just saps my strength. I, I hate it. And in the, the desert, there's no escape from the sun except at the night when you freeze your ass off. It's just, uh, but you know what? Skyrim, as you said, uh, it was mostly snowy. And on paper, I'd say, oh, I don't really care that much. Like, I like snow, but I'm, if I'm exposed to it all the time, I get tired, kind of tired of it. Canadian here. I can see snow anytime I want, practically. But Skyrim was so interesting to explore. It had so many cool places and just really rugged nature. And I am a fan of rugged nature. So I think that maybe Hammerfell, I think Bethesda has the ability to give us different locales, different locations, different things to look at. I have heard concerns in the past about how the Red Guard kind of portrayed a little bit uh, insensitively in past games. Uh, have to see how they handle that, I suppose. I guess we shall. I'm sure that Bethesda is thinking about it. And if they're not, then their corporate overlords are. Okay, that is it for the RPG news. Nadia, let's continue on to the 2021 RPG preview. Don't go away. Nadia, last year was a really interesting year for RPGs. We got Final Fantasy VII Remake. We got Cyberpunk 2077. We got various other RPGs of note. This year is going to be a little bit different. It could be a really big year for RPGs, or it might not be. I think that there's a lot to watch over the next year. You know, one of the first things I'm going to be looking for, Nadia, before we jump into the rest of the review or the release slate is how will Cyberpunk 2077 react? Will it get good or will it continue to struggle along? It, I think a lot depends on the expansions that are released this year. I think so. And uh, I have not been keeping up with the Cyberpunk discourse as closely as I have. Frankly, with everything going on politically, I kind of forgot the game existed, to be honest with you. And I haven't heard one way or the other if if uh, CD Projekt Red has spoken out about, okay, yes, we're going to fix this. Yes, we're going to make it right. But they did that once when the game first came out, and I haven't heard anything since about that. One thing that I am kind of curious about as well is how will RPGs start to adjust to the PS5 and the Xbox Series X? Because in many ways, this is the first full year of RPG releases, and if you go back to the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One eras in 2014, which was the first full year after their release, we got Dragon Age Inquisition. So when I look at the list of games that will be coming out this year, the games that potentially catch my eye, Final Fantasy 16, which I do think that there is an excellent chance that that is released. Uh, Bloodline, Vampire the Masquerade 2, Bloodlines, uh, we'll see. That's just, <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Sure. Shrug, shrug. <laughs> shrug, shrug. And finally, Elden Ring, which we don't know really anything about. But, I mean, Phil Spencer was talking it up like crazy. He was. Uh, I actually think that was one of my better headlines in for US Gamers. Something like, uh, Phil Spencer has played Elden Ring and you haven't, suckers. 
he yes. kind of indicated by going by his speech, he kind of indicated the game is well along. I think there is a really good chance of seeing it by holiday uh, of this year. We know basically nothing about Elden Ring at this point, except that it sounds like it's Dark Souls in an open world kind of scenario, which everybody's going, what? yes, yes, please, let's do this thing. And it's done by Hidetaka Miyazaki, who is responsible for the Dark Souls series in general. So people are even more excited about that. It's just taking the series to another level. Um, the writer of Song and Ice and Fire, George R. R. Martin, is involved in some capacity. We don't really know how involved he is in it. Either way, but we don't know literally anything about this game to the point where the community has actually been going bonkers just creating its own game or something like that its own <laughs> theories i love it <laughs> i love it when people are so thirsty for news they just start weaving their own narrative which can be a lot of fun but also lead to disappointment if you don't get your expectations i think elden ring uh i'm half interested in that because i enjoyed dark souls but it absolutely did not devour me but i feel like if someone handed me a really good game, even if it was Dark Souls style and it was open world and had a good narrative, I'd be sure. I'd, I'd certainly play that and suffer if I had to, but I'd, I'd enjoy myself. Here's the thing that's interesting about Elden Ring is that we were supposed to get a lot of information about it as early, like early last year, actually, oh, right. where around GDC time, I want to say, um, but we did go. not. And Bandai Namco just went radio silent. And this seems like a lot of that might be to do with the pandemic. I might just be kind of spitballing this. But like they were like, no, we're, we're, we're not actually going to reveal all of the information after all. Sorry. And then they just kept pushing it back. And then we just didn't hear anything. So it's just a complete mystery. Who knows how much the pandemic is messing with everything. But I don't know. Uh, I hope I hope we get to see Elden Ring soon. And I hope that it is good. Yeah, me too. And I think that's one thing we have to consider as well is how is the pandemic going to affect game development this year? Because it absolutely is. It probably already is. Mm -hmm. But the difference is, number one, there is a vaccine coming. God knows when. I think if you're just a regular schlub who's not on the front lines, uh, you're going to have to wait quite a while to be vaccinated, which fine. We're not priority. The front line should get priority. Absolutely. But rates are still going up and up and up and up and up. We're still in a lot of danger, to be frank with you. So people are still going to have to accommodate for that. But people have learned how to exist in lockdown. So whereas everything kind of went scrambling to hell last year around April, no one had any idea what they're doing or how to work from home or what's coming next. I don't know. Now we're a little more organized and used to this, this situation we're in. So I could see now that studios have settled into maybe working from home and doing digital meetings and stuff like that, people are more organized. So we can expect maybe a less delays, but I'm not exactly putting my hat on any solid release date this year either. The same can be said for Final Fantasy 16, which I know I've been saying that I feel pretty good about its odds of coming out in 2021, but it really is a fool's errand trying to predict the release date of a Final Fantasy project. I mean, I would have said that Final Fantasy VII Remake would have been out by 2017 and instead it wasn't out until 2020. So, you know, who even knows? Maybe maybe it'll be like five years before 16 actually comes out. <laughs> I really don't think it's going to be that long, but you're right in that I can rarely eye 2021, but I will not put any money down on it. 
I think that uh, since Yoshi P is also working on Final Fantasy XIV, which was also delayed, we're supposed to learn about the expansion actually in February. We were supposed to learn about it last year. So everything's been knocked back a little bit. That said, I still think holiday 2021 is a, is a real possibility, if not then early 2022. Nadia, we've already talked about Final Fantasy 16 a little bit. You're in on it. I'm hesitant about it. It doesn't scream Final Fantasy to me when I look at kind of the darker, more fantasy-oriented kind of art style. Um, I don't love the action kind of system, but you are like, look, it's Yoshi P. It's the Final Fantasy fourteen team. They love Final Fantasy. They will do right by Final Fantasy. It will be a good game. I really do think they will do right, and I really do think we have to see more of the game before we make any snap judgments about it. I think we had a fight about this on one of our Patreon episodes, so uh, the, I think it was the ranking episode, the second episode, so please do listen to that if you want to hear me defend the game to the heavens. Yeah, we were talking to Ash Paulson about it, and he was like, I don't know about Final Fantasy sixteen, and I'm like, I was kind of like secretly going, yeah, I'm kind of with you, Ash, so. <laughs> yeah, Ash had some hot takes in that episode. We'll see. I just want Final Fantasy to freaking feel like Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy seven Remake managed to strike the balance, right? And sixteen looks like it's closer to 15 in terms of the, maybe the battle system, and I'm like, I don't want that. Come on. So I, I want a battle system that feels like it has a little more oomph, a little more punch to it. Yeah, but we also didn't have any idea how the battle system was in Remake until we got a little bit further along into the trailers and saw, oh, okay, they have a really interesting mix of... Uh, menu and action going on here. So for all we know, we haven't seen everything to do with the battle system in Final Fantasy 16. Shifting over to the, the Nintendo Switch, Shin Megami Tensei 5, another RPG that has been in development for quite a while. I think we first found out about SMT 5 back in 2017. We did. I actually distinctly remember they showed it uh, in January of 2017, I think, when they did the first big preview for the Nintendo Switch and I went to New York to cover it and I was with Parrish and we were watching the trailer and it had SMT5 there and I'm like, oh my God, great. That's pretty cool. Uh, maybe they'll have that at launch or or soon after. And <laughs> here we are. Four years later, it seems like they had even really gotten started on development back in 2017, which leads me to say, for heaven's sake, don't announce your freaking game before development has even gotten started because it's going to be a long time. Hype will kind of wane. People will get annoyed and frustrated. If you run into any snags, then you're getting into even more trouble. Hello, Metroid Prime 4. Four. Looking at you. Yes. So just wait. Just start development secretly. Wait until it's almost done. Say like, here's our new game. And by the way, it's coming out in a couple months. Like, follow, that's what Fallout 4 did. Yeah, exactly. Um, usually Nintendo's pretty good about that. Here's a game. It's coming out in a few months. Hooray, everyone celebrates. Because even, yes, I'm really mixed about doing the teaser thing because with a company like Bethesda, I understand why they want to put up a title screen for for Elder Scrolls Six and say, hey, this is coming. Don't worry, this, this mobile game that's meant for China isn't all we're working on. Uh, we're not even just working on Starfield. But as you say, then it lingers forever and people get annoyed. But on the other hand, people really get into the hype once things are revealed again. Like, look at today and Bethesda put up a map and, oh, my God, we're all going to we're all going to, to Hammerfell. So there you go. 
I mean, I think SMT5 will be good. I mean, it's mm. seems like pretty standard SMT5 fare. It takes a modern day uh, Tokyo. There will be demon fusion. There will probably be some kind of apocalypse going on. Uh, we got a teaser trailer last year. It looks pretty cool. We'll see. Uh, SMT5 is definitely the, I want to say, crunchier side of the SMT series versus, say, Persona. So it's going to be a little more hardcore, but... I think that we've had so many people come into the series courtesy of Persona. And mm. also the fact that it's going to be on Nintendo Switch, a console with a huge install base is maybe really promising for SMT5. I think so. I'm actually quite new to SMT. I was one of the people who came in through Persona. I have only played SMT Strange Journey Redux and I really liked it. Um I noticed right away, okay, this is not Persona. I'm not going to play this like Persona or think of it as Persona minus the connections like, oh, I recognize this fairy. I recognize this fairy. But when you play it for what it's meant to be, then it is a it is a really fun, if not kind of difficult, and as you say, crunchy RPG. Speaking of the Nintendo Switch, Nadia, I think it is in for an absolutely huge year. So last year, aside from Animal Crossing and maybe a couple other games, it was actually a fairly quiet year for releases on the Nintendo Switch. But if these Switch Pro rumors are true, which it just looks more and more like they are absolutely true and is absolutely going to happen, we're going to get a lot of games. Like Nintendo's going to be making a big push behind it. I think that we can feel... I would say there's a good maybe 60% chance that Breath of the Wild 2 will be a holiday game this year, which would be amazing. We're going to get a new Pokemon. Mm. Uh, whatever that Pokemon turns out to be, I'm kind of personally rooting for Diamond and Pearl remakes. I certainly hope that it's not another Let's Go game. Please, God, don't let it be another Let's Go game. <laughs> I kind of want, I kind of want uh, no, Silver and Gold. No more Go. Let's Go, for God's it was sake. So cute. No. I had so much no. fun. I had a hat. You did have a hat. I mean, it wasn't that bad. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was just the problem with the Let's Go series is that it just felt too disconnected from the po- from the Pokemon ecosystem. Yes, I know that you could transfer Pokemon over into Sword and Shield, but it was just kind of a weird spinoff. And I want a remake of Pokemon Diamond and Pearl to be properly integrated with Sword and Shield. So that's all I, I, do want. Want, I do understand that. And I think that is actually the better idea for game freak even though i do think the the let's go series is very cute and fun it does not have the staying power at all of a pokemon game of course people are still going they're still playing pokemon sword and shield every day thanks to the expansions thanks to the post game uh whereas i don't i think i tried to do an article on the post game for let's go and i got nothing nobody they had stopped playing because it's not really a, a good game for battling your pokemon they so but they're still playing sword and shield so i think that if I feel like Game Freak is treating Sword and Shield like a project, and that's fine. That's the best thing to do because they added to it really well with the expansions. I don't know if another expansion is coming with the, the 25th anniversary, but maybe there is, as you say, remakes of Silver of a uh, Pearl and Diamond that will be integrated into Sword and Shield somehow. That could be really interesting. So yeah, um, I'm eager to see what Game Freak has in store because they certainly have something going on. It is the 25th anniversary of Pokemon, so it's going to be a big year for Pokemon, for sure. It is. I can't believe they used the same stupid logo they used for their 20th, though, except they just changed the numbers on Pikachu's cheeks. It looks so Game tacky. Game so lazy. You can't even change his logo. <laughs> I mean, it's not the end of the world, but it's just kind of like, come on, guys, you can do a little better than this. I'm a Nintendo fan. It is the end of the world. <laughs> uh, Breath of the Wild 2... Meanwhile, um, I don't really consider it an RPG, but I feel obligated to talk about it. It's going to be 
I think bar none the biggest game of the year, unless Baldur, unless Starfield comes out, maybe. But I think Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be even bigger just because it'll be it'll be on Switch, which has a huge install base at this point. The hype will be absolutely through the roof. Breath of the Wild was the best game of the past decade. So, I mean, if it comes out this year, it's going to be the big holiday game that everybody is talking about. I think so. And I think before too long, we're going to hear more about the game, which last year, Nintendo, when they announced uh, uh, Age of Calamity, they said, yes, more information is coming. Just be a little more patient. People are already making rumors about a, a January 21st direct, God help me. So I think that maybe the next direct or maybe the one after that will be something Breath of the Wild 2 related. And I think that, yes, the holiday seems like the likeliest option. So we'll see about that. I don't know if we're going to get full-blown directs anymore, really, because Nintendo just doesn't seem that interested in doing them. They'd much rather just do a, yeah, we're doing a stream about a game. It's coming up soon. Or they do the little indie showcases, but they don't do like proper directs. At least they certainly didn't do them last year. I feel like the pandemic really screwed that up. I think the pandemic screwed that up. And I also think that, honestly, Iwata's death screwed that up because it feels like Mm. the directs were his and he was such a presence on them. So I really, really miss Iwata. I think everyone does. I think Nintendo, their staff, is really hurting still from his loss. Not, Of course, not just like creatively and financially, but just he was such a good friend to them all. And maybe they just don't want to, you know, try to take over his legacy. I understand why the um, the smaller directs were a better choice for this year because, number one, why generate hype for one presentation when you can generate hype with a bunch of presentations? Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, I think a big thing with the directs also was just the way people would gather and watch them and, and share their hype. And, of course, that hasn't been an option because of the pandemic. So just saying, oh, here you go, here's a... And there's still well-presented videos and well-produced, so just here's a video about whatever's coming next. Enjoy it. Uh, it's it's still a valid option, although I do miss the directs very much. I will add with Breath of the Wild 2, I'm very excited about it. No, Breath of the Wild 2 is not an RPG. Yes, we will be covering it on Axe of the Blood God. I think I feel so. like it. It is of interest. It is of interest to our audience, so we're going to talk about it. What do you it want? Is, it, it is absolutely of interest to our audience, and I think it just barely qualifies. I mean, it's it'd be no, kind it of... No, it doesn't. I'm not going to put it on any lists. It's not an RPG. It's an action-adventure game, and yes, these arbitrary definitions do matter because it helps us better understand what the actual game is all about. It, words have meaning. Language has meaning. The more you define a thing, the more that you can actually talk about it. Having said that, Breath of the Wild 2, I don't care. I'm going to talk about it because I'm excited about it. It's my podcast. Your podcast too, Nadia. There you go. (laughs) If you don't like it, make your own podcast where you don't talk about Zelda. But I think most people want us to talk about Breath of the Wild 2. It just seems seems silly to ignore it because that crossover appeal is certainly there. Same as kind of like we do with Dark Souls, even though there's the jury's kind of in and out about that one. It's still got the the cross genre appeal that it's stupid to ignore. I'm going to talk about Breath of the Wild 2 in exactly the same way that I don't talk about Destiny 2. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Destiny exists. I'm sorry, Destiny fans. I just... Destiny uh, is a shooter. That's fine. Whatever. It's it's on. It's over here. But uh, also, we're going to talk about Elden Ring and we're going to talk about Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter Rise, which is coming out this year. They... A demo just came out. I've not played the demo, but... I don't know. I watched the combat trailer and I'm already like 10 to 15% more hyped than I was 
before going into this. I absolutely love Nadia that you can tame a monster like a dragon or a tigrix or something and actually ride it and then battle other monsters. That's so cool. That is actually a really interesting addition. One of the reasons I liked Monster Hunter stories too, which is Monster Hunter Stories. Now, number two is coming out later this year. I'm really intrigued that you can finally do that in a mainline Monster Hunter game. Yeah, so it's going to be a really good year for Monster Hunter. Jury is out on Tales of Arise, mm. which we, again, don't know much, if anything, about it. And I actually wouldn't be entirely shocked if it ended up being a 2022 game. Yeah, if that happened, Eric would be very, very sad. He'd cry enough tears to fill the, the oceans. One thing that we've been hearing from the fans is that they want us to talk more about Tales. And your wish is our command. We will do a Tales series, promise. I think so. Tales is is certainly one of those series that I want to get into as much as I can. Kind of like Cold Steel. I think that once I get into it, I'll, I'll enjoy it. I may, for a certain Pantheon episode, I may do a, let's just do an all Tales Pantheon, where we just like, okay, which one goes in the Pantheon? Tales of Destiny, Tales of Vesperia, Tales of the Abyss, or Tales of Symphonia? And I almost guarantee Symphonia would win, but it would be an interesting matchup. Yeah, it would. God, that's a lot of that's a lot of tales to play. That I mean, we're not going to play all four. We'll pick one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. You the rule, Nadia, is you have to play through all four of them before the voting goes up, or else you're, you're disqualified. Oh no! Oh no! Now I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the last one that I want to talk about on the list of maybe not even 2021, but who knows? But I think we're pretty sure that this one's coming out in 2021. Baldur's Gate three. I think that's going to be one of the big RPGs of the year, certainly over on the PC. Baldur's Gate 3 was very well received in the beta. There's a lot of, you know, kind of kinks to work out with the actual design, a lot of holes to fill in. Like some people are like, it's a little too Divinity Original Sin for me. But at the same time, Larian has taken the classic Baldur's Gate isometric point of view and expanded it and made it beautiful and feel like really epic. The scope is beyond anything I've seen for this type of game. And when this game comes out, it's going to be it's going to be a big deal, I think. It's uh, going to be a very big deal. I can actually see another Hades situation where the community helps in refining the game so much that the final product becomes something that's really special and really polished. And I'm definitely on the fence if I'm going to play Baldur's Gate 3. I kind of want to. I am moderately interested in Dungeons & Dragons lore, so I think I would enjoy it. It's just, I suppose, a matter of will I have the time when it comes out? Will it come out this year? I think it will. I think because, again, the community is helping so much. It's just a a real push that will help get it out the door. And Nadia, don't underestimate the fact that we're kind of in a mini dragon Dungeons and Dragons renaissance right now. And a lot of that is to do with the success of Critical Role. Uh, streaming has been a huge help for D&D. Mm. So even though people can't get together and actually play games, they can still play over Zoom. They can watch uh, their favorite personalities playing. And I would not be shocked if this ends up giving Baldur's Gate 3 a surprisingly big push in addition to the fact that it's going to just have the nostalgia factor going on behind it, because Baldur's Gate 2 is such a classic. It's going to have the Wizards of the Coast marketing machine behind it. Uh, 
I think Baldur's Gate 3 is going to be pretty big. I think it is. And I think you're right about the Renaissance. And I have two things to say about that. Number one, resurrect Dragonlance, you cowards. Number two, <laughs> Kat, you and I should do D&D and stream it. Oh, my God. You mean actually run a game? Yeah, I have no idea how to play, but I think, it, <laughs> well, I played once. I played a half-elf named Hawkmoon. I could bring her back. But, uh, I feel like yeah. we need to get a proper dungeon master in here. We I think absolutely I, do. <laughs> I know a couple of them. I'm not much of a dungeon master, so I wouldn't want to actually try and run a game. <laughs> I the, the one time I played, my husband, who's like extremely logical and picks everything apart, which is drove the, he has driven dungeon masters mad. So, yeah. Your, your husband's extremely logical. He's one of those people, huh? Oh, he's one of those people. He misses calling by not being a lawyer or a rabbi. Okay, Nadia. So those are all the big games that are coming out that don't really have release dates yet. But let's talk about some of the games that do have release dates. A game that just got a demo, actually, is Ease 9. It's on the PlayStation 4. It's out on February 2nd. And it's going to be out on PC and Nintendo Switch later in the year. Nadia, did you get a chance to play the Ease 9 demo? I did. Um, Unfortunately, the demo is only 10 minutes at a time, which is kind of stupid. But I did play it. You get your choice between two levels, kind of a large canal area and an interesting tower level. And the reason that's interesting is because it lets you really examine the new skills that the that Adol has. Uh, by the way, Adol is going under the alias Crimson King. So we're getting all uh, Dark Tower slash Prog Rock up in here. But he can he and his friends can kind of glide and they can run up walls. So hardcore parkour right over there. You, otherwise, you're looking at uh, traditional ease gameplay where you have a lot of hack and slash, you have your skills, you have your this and that, your items, your this, your monsters. I did have a major problem with the camera, and that was mostly on the upper tower level because the camera kept locking on to the flying enemies who were going all over the place, so so was the camera. Once you kind of disengage the camera from the enemies, it's better, but I still noticed uh, a lot of problems with it. And I have been told that Japan had a major patch for Ease 9 that fixed a lot of problems, but I'm not sure if the demo is pre or post patch. Uh, I just hope those camera problems get fixed because what's here seems like a really good, fun action RPG. And of course, Ease 8 was one of the best action RPGs of last generation. And uh, I absolutely recommend it to anyone. I hope that it gets fixed. As I said, the first level that's not that's not more vertical. I didn't have nearly as many problems. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But I am looking forward to it, and I hope that camera gets fixed. Nadia, am I wrong for remembering that... Did did Ease 8 go as hard in on... uh, I hate using this term, but waifus? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not really that kind of series. There's always one or two girls. Because Ease 9 really does. Oh my god, does it. It is full-on Genshin Impact from everything that I'm able to see. It doesn't, I just, uh, I just pay attention to Adol. I'm just like, why are you calling yourself Crimson King? Why did you do that? What is with Dark Tower and Prog Rock and Japanese developers? I'm not objecting. I'm just curious. Well, the whole thing is that Adol gets, arrives in a new land because that's what he does. And he, does. he gets thrown in prison, you know, because, and he gets to leave prison and then he gets shot with a magic gun and gets magic powers. And now he's the Crimson King. And uh, as the game progresses, he is recruiting um, girls, including a cat girl, I believe, at some point, who all look like they could very much be from Arknights or Genshin Impact or any of these games where you're supposed to be collecting girls, I suppose you could say. 
And yeah, so that's where Ease 9 is very much going. It's like, gotta catch them all. Girls. Yeah, but uh, Adol is married to Doga, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) I do like Adol's new design, except for the rat tail. (laughs) Oh, he's got to have that rat tail. Come on. He's so hardcore now. I think actually early in the game, he dyes his hair so he can escape his whole Uh, signature thing. It's his red hair, which is rare in his world. So eventually, I guess he washes that shit out and says, screw this. I'm, I'm the Crimson King. Go to hell. The combat looks pretty fun, but it also kind of looks like a pretty janky game. I mean, everything that I was seeing of the exploration, I mean, there's a lot of ill-considered kind of platforming going on, weird climbing. Uh, you kind of glitch in and out of uh, different buildings and such like that. So, I I mean, there's a rough-hewn charm to Ease 9, I want to say, but I don't know. It's a B-tier game, I think. I mean, Ease is always kind of B tier, other than I really think 8 is A tier. You so, do. Well, yeah. What makes 8 A tier to you? It's just a really fun, exciting action hack and slash. I feel like it really hits I that found right it now. It's so slow. Like, really? in terms of, yeah, like in terms of actual pacing, it didn't feel like it did really picked up until the final chapter. Oh, well, I like it. Uh, Fair I enough. don't know. I've, I feel like. Uh, a lot of people do say it's an A-tier game, and I, I do agree with that. I did hear people say it was, a few people say it was better than Breath of the Wild, and I don't believe that. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it's totally different from Breath of the Wild, number one. Number two, no. So I feel like Ease 9, there is certainly, as you say, a rough-hewn charm to it. There is there is potential. Mm. Falcom is Falcom, of course, and they just do good yeah. games. But I am a little bit worried about that jank in that camera. Uh, as I said, there was a patch, and I don't know whether it was post or pre-patch. So I guess once I find that out, I have a better idea of where we are. And I do hope Falcom is listening to Western uh, criticism and advice here and saying, okay, well, let's fix up this game before it comes out. Speaking of games that have been fixed up before coming out, we were talking earlier about the Nintendo Switch and how it's going poised to have a big year. Next month, February 26th, Bravely Default 2 is coming out. You've played both demos, I think you said, Nadia, and you said that the second demo was a substantial improvement. Yes, yes. Uh, I feel like the second demo was much more polished. They worked a lot on the monster balance. They worked a lot on the animations. Uh, I don't know if they did another survey for feedback. I would hope they did because it's always a, they always get fantastic feedback from those surveys, so I'm glad that they have them. But I do feel like Bravely Default 2 is on track to being a a Bravely Default game that the fans will love. March 26th, we're in the beginning Monster Hunter Rise on the Nintendo Switch. We've already talked about that one. And also, we're going to be getting in March the Disco Elysium, the final cut. Nadia, this is it. You got to play it now. I do. I am disappointed it's not coming on Switch, but I will have to manage. Yeah, it's going to be coming out on Switch later in the year, I think. Oh, okay. But I don't want to wait that long. I do want to give this a try and see how it is. You should. Uh, It'll be out on PlayStation and PC in March. I don't think we have a specific release date yet at this point. Um, And I think other versions are coming out later in the year, maybe in the summer. Yeah, uh, we know that it's March probably sometime, at least the first quarter, maybe the end of the first quarter. Look for it then. In case you don't remember Disco Elysium, it was our best RPG of 2019. It was really interesting take on role-playing because it was less combat-focused and much more about building your character kind of on the fly based on the dialogue choices 
that we were making. In a way, it was almost like a personality test of an RPG. It was really interesting. Meanwhile, you were playing as a sloven disaster of a, <laughs> a detective. But I, I don't know. It's really interesting. It's developers, uh, Za slash Um or Za Um. I don't know. They are originally from Eastern Europe. They aren't there anymore, but it really has informed their outlook, especially the collapse of communism. So it just gives Disco Elysium a really interesting flavor. And I wouldn't even necessarily compare them to cyberpunk because whereas CD Projekt, I think, is much more in yay, capitalism, uh, Za slash Um is more ambivalent about it, but also their experience has been kind of colored by their own experiences from where they came from. Uh, this will be the final cut, and it is the definitive version of the game. And it's going to be a whole bunch of new content, instead, including full voice acting, which is pretty cool. Um, include And new vision quests, improved playability, more customizable items, and additional freedom to explore the world. PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 in March. And it's going to be out on the Xbox Series X and Nintendo Switch in the summer. And the Switch might be the time to play it, Nadia. Yeah, I kind of want to play it on the switch because it seems like such a good switch game but uh i don't want to wait either it's a it's the conundrum it's the switch conundrum as usual uh just pick it up whenever it comes out and you have a minute to play it there you go i can deal with that because if you are like oh wait till it's out and switch you may find yourself in a situation where like well i'm playing this other game instead mm. and then it just back burners it into forever you know it, it goes on the list the capital l uh, capital l list and finally, in April, we're getting Near Replicant, which is coming out on April 23rd. Near Replicant, of course, is the version of Near that came out about 10 years ago. It is about a post-apocalyptic society. I think Near Replicant is based more on the Japanese version, so the main character is kind of a younger boy, and he's protecting his young sister, as opposed to the original American release in which old man... The old man version of the character is a dad. And honestly, I'm kind of sad because even though we have too many dad games, I found it was a nice change of pace the way what they did with America. So so they took America's version and they aged up the boy and made it like a dad protecting his sister or sorry, protecting his daughter. His sister, his daughter. <laughs> yes. That's an interesting choice. Why did they make that? Because they were trying to, because this was a time, Nadia, if you'll recall, where Japan had decided that Japanese games were dying. And so they had to be grimmer and grittier and appeal to American audiences and had determined that young and beautiful boys were not going to appeal to uh, American audiences who like beige and gray third person shooters. Uh, yeah. Now that you mention it, there was uh, quite a few instances at that time of pretty boys being redesigned a little bit for American tastes, uh, especially in artwork. We had a, a discussion about Final Fantasy IV, the after years, in one of our, in the uh, ranking that's available right now. And uh, the main character in that had a very kind of uh, bishy look that was redrawn for American artwork, and he looked kind of hideous, frankly. <laughs> uh, Near Automata, of course, is where the series really took off, but Near Replicant... Um, if you want to talk about rough-hewn charm, Near Replicant definitely had it. But a lot of people will tell you that if you stick with it, it is actually kind of a, a masterpiece in design. It has multiple endings in the usual Yoko Taro kind of fashion. And a lot of people will tell you that it's quite brilliant. 
So it is certainly worth revisiting when it ultimately comes out. And finally, we don't have an official release date for this one, but Mass Effect Trilogy, the full Mass Effect Trilogy is coming out on various platforms. People have been waiting for this one forever. It's going to be on Xbox One, PS4, PC, and it will have forward compatibility with PS5 and Xbox Series X. It's a bummer that it's not coming out to Nintendo Switch and that it will not be natively available on the PS5 and Xbox Series X. But also, we've been playing the PC versions of these games or the backwards compatible versions of these games for so long that it's nice just to kind of have them back, you know? Yeah, um, and it will be my first foray into the series, so I'm just glad to have it. Uh, Again, I'm disappointed there's no Switch, but uh, oh, what are you going to do? Guess you got to sit down at the PS4 one more time. Make, uh, play Mass Effect 1 and enjoy it. Don't be like those people who are like skipped straight to Mass Effect 2. You know, you need to get to know the <laughs> cast and the characters so that Mass Effect 2 hits strongly enough, Nadia. I think that the remaster will hopefully smooth over a lot of the jank that the original uh, Mass Effect is infamous for. So I see no reason to skip it. Indeed. Okay, Nadia, that is all of the games that is coming out in 2021 well most of them not most all of them, them. there's gonna be a, a good lot chunk of surprises of yeah a significant number nadia what rpg are you most excited to play probably fun fantasy 16 i'm at least excited to see uh to learn more about what it's about uh and of course i think this will be the year that the next final fantasy 14 expansion is out so i'm excited to play that of course Oh my god, more Final Fantasy XIV, no! More for you. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to stuff all the expansions down your throat as we go. But oh, Heaven's Word is so good, and, and Shadowbringers is so good. You'll like, you love the story. I wish the grinding wasn't there. Oh no, grinding, no! I mean, it, they've really improved it, so that you don't have to do like any grinding anymore, at least in the first part of the game, but uh, yeah. To quote Monty Python, because that's something that we apparently do in this podcast, it got better. As for me, I think the RPG that I am looking forward to the absolute most in 2021, and we shall see if this ends up being the case. I'm going to say Elden Ring, actually, mm. even if it's not mm. strictly speaking a RPG. Uh, I think that I am really curious to see what Miyazaki does with a proper open world kind of Soulsy type game. Sure, will be extremely unforgiving. And crazy, but also gorgeous and clever and unique in its own way. I, I bet it's going to be really good, Nadia. Yeah, I am definitely interested to see where that goes. I have at least one eye on it. One eye, just kind of looking. Kind of, you know, we cockeyed, wall-eyed a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, every year I'm like, well, I think I'm. these are the games that I'm most interested in. And it seems like every year I end up being surprised. Yes. And... You know, I would never in a million years have thought that Yakuza Like a Dragon and Hades would be at the top of my list, you know, last year. I figured Cyberpunk would be on the list and it was not. So there's just always so many surprises, you know? That really was a surprising year, wasn't it? Just everything I predicted mm-hmm. and none of it turned out. Uh, 13 Sentinels is my one of my tops. Uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon is one of my tops. Hades just took everything by storm and I never predicted that. I mean, as much of a fan of Supergiant as I am... Uh, and as much as I knew Hades was a good game because I'd heard like the whispers through early access, I just never imagined it would just be such a phenomenon. I'm glad it was. There will be some indie RPG that comes out that I'm going to absolutely fall head and over heels for 
and I would be like, man, I can't even, I can't believe that I did, wasn't even thinking about that game. Yeah. Who knows? None of us can see the future. None of us are Cassandra. I love being surprised by RPGs, Nadia. And as always, I expect this to be a, I think it's going to be a really interesting couple years, honestly, because it's always the new first couple of years of the new generation of consoles when publishers are willing to risk the most and try the newest things. That's where you're going to see the new IPs that are trying to get their hold on things. It's where people are taking advantage of the new technology and the new possibilities in the most interesting ways. Toward the end of the generation is when they usually settle in. We certainly saw that with the current generation of consoles. When I say current, I mean like PS4 and Xbox mm-hmm. One. So uh, buckle up, Nadia. I mean, I bet 2023 is just going to be a banger of a year. Buckle up, Homestuck. Okay, folks. What RPG are you most excited about to be playing in 2021? Is there an RPG we didn't really talk about that really has your attention? Send me an email, cat at bloodgodpod.com, or send me an email on Twitter at the underscore catbot. DMs are open. Okay, let's continue on to the track of the week. Nadia, it's time for the track of the week, the segment in which we pick a track from an RPG that we really love because music is so important to understanding the genre that we love. And this week, we're back to Final Fantasy. See if you recognize this song. Yes, this song is New Continent from Final Fantasy VI, which Nadia picked because we are playing Final Fantasy VI on our stream right now. Maybe we'll get all the way through it. Who knows? Nadia, why this song in particular? Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about Final Fantasy VI being a, a kind of a mix of fantasy and sci-fi and steampunk. And I feel like New Continent really encapsulates that feeling. It has a very grindy sound, but also has like a symphony playing on top of it. It's probably the most unique song in Final Fantasy VI, and it really exemplifies the area, which is the floating continent. Uh, at this point in the game, Kefka is being Kefka. The Empire, or it's lots of it, has risen, has kind of raised this continent into the air so they can control magic. And you have to stop Kefka before he moves the statues and screws everything up. This is a very difficult part of the game, too. This is probably one of the big gateways that if you are not the proper level you should be, you will get flattened in a second, especially since the boss of this area is the dreaded Atma weapon. And I feel like the song conveys that danger, conveys that alien sort of uh, land that you're on. All the enemies are very different from what you've encountered to this point. The tile sets are very different. Uh, of course, you can do as well as you can, and you will still lose because Kefka will push the statue out of alignment and bring ruin to the world. But it's just, it heralds the terrible things to come, I think. The terrible things to come. When the game very much takes a turn, and you're like, oh, wow, okay, I was not expecting any of this. I thought it was at the end. <laughs> I thought it was about to finish this. I thought it was about to beat the Empire and have a good ending. Oh, okay. I'm surprised you didn't pick the actual music for the battle with Atma Weapon, because I think that's one of the best battle themes in the entire series. It was definitely a, a toss-up between the two, because that particular song called Fierce Battle 
Yeah, that's another one of my favorites. It's just so, well, again, the Atma weapon uh, completely destroyed me as a child and it was always one of my fears. You know what I mean? When you get completely destroyed by a monster in an RPG and you never forget it, I still kind of shudder a little bit when I look at Atma weapon. Atma weapon is humongous and amazing to look at. It's such a really unique design, like this this combination of like lizard and machine and it's so Final Fantasy VI and a mono. Final Fantasy VI's soundtrack is, of course, by Nobuo Uematsu, who needs no introduction. And we've talked at much length about how Final Fantasy VI probably has the best soundtrack in the entire series, not just because of the incredible range that it has, but because it just uses every single facet of the Super Nintendo sound chip. And the Super Nintendo sound chip is one of those really distinctive sounds that in the right hands can just be beautiful and amazing as we consistently saw with the Final Fantasy series and in the wrong hand can just be a lot of wailing guitars. <laughs> <laughs> you can always fall back on the wailing guitars in the on the SNES soundtrack uh, sound chip. Uh I also really really love their slap bass for some reason. Which I guess it was the 90s everyone was kind of doing it cuz of Seinfeld. Okay, Nadia, it's letter time. It's letter time. So we're not on US Gamer anymore, but we are pulling letters from the comments over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. Yes, I'm going to keep plugging it until you sign up for it, and then I'll keep plugging it anyway, because why not? You should remember what you signed up for. All right, this is from Charles-Andre Lavalle-Jean. Pardon me if I'm misspelling your name. They are writing in response to our great Final Fantasy ranking, which happened in a special two-parter, which you were able to access immediately if you were a subscriber to the podcast. I have to make a plea for 13-2, and I mean it as someone who felt deeply betrayed by 13. 13-2, by the way, Nadia, if you'll recall, was the best of the bad ones, as it were. It was number 11 on our <laughs> the list. best of the bad. I picked up 13.2 on sale a few years ago, and it took a while to hook me. The game is deeply flawed, as are nearly all Final Fantasies. The characters are sub-Kingdom Hearts anime cliches. The world is basically a bunch of disconnected levels tied in a complicated Excel sheet. The story is bland, but somehow the whole thing is better than the sum of its parts. It just kind of works. Great case you're making there. <laughs> I gotta say, I do love the the term, like, just Excel sheet. That fits so many RPGs when I think about it. It does. But, I mean, whatever. At the end of the day, it sure is RPG content tied together to a pretty solid battle system. It, maybe that's what counts in this case. Yes, maybe the characters are, as you say, subpar Kingdom Hearts anime. But sometimes all you need is a fun battle system. And even I, who prioritizes story so much of the time, even I will say that. I was going to say, I was expecting a lot more anger from Final Fantasy 13 2 stands, and Final Fantasy 10 stands, and even Final Fantasy 14 stands, uh, but it didn't really materialize. I think, at least for Final Fantasy 14, most people are pretty reasonable in declaring it as kind of one of the best, but not necessarily the best because it's just not for everyone. I think it was more that we just didn't talk about it that much, and I kind of wanted to give it a little more love than it ultimately got. Oh, but I, I sat there and rambled for like half an hour. <laughs> you did ramble for quite a while. <laughs> uh, I will give you that. I mean, uh, we didn't even talk about like with Final Fantasy X. I was, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, I really like the battle system in Final Fantasy X. I just really enjoy being able to swap characters in and out. 
um, at will. I think we didn't talk at all about the sphere grid. We didn't talk at all about how in the international version they had the Dark Eons, which is just a phenomenal side quest and just a huge reason to make your characters ridiculously powerful beyond all compare. There's a lot to love about Final Fantasy X. Yeah, I should definitely play it. I definitely, definitely should play it. Well, maybe that's what we'll do before the end of the year, Nadia. Absolutely. That sounds like a good idea. That and Witcher 3 are on my list. Cecil Harvey says, The part of the list I found myself surprised to be agreeing with was probably Seven's placement. I'm still part of the Seven is overrated camp. I just think the sameness of the characters in combat makes your regular encounter gameplay kind of boring. By saying that 7R is sharing a spot with it, though, I have no qualms about giving it the number two spot. 7R was a great surprise this year that I enjoyed every bit of. So here's the thing with Final Fantasy VII. I think that we've spent so long talking about how it's overrated that it's actually become underrated. (laughs) Yeah, Final Fantasy VII has certainly had an interesting journey because I do remember, of course, its launch and it was the biggest thing ever. And I do also remember its massive drop in popularity when everyone said, oh, it sucks. Oh, it was overrated. and Oh, this and that. And I agreed. I thought that it was overrated and the translation was bad and the story made no sense. But then I went back and replayed it at some point and I realized, okay, wow, this game is actually quite brilliant. Yes, the translation sucks. And I really wish that they had, you know, released a, a remake of that that just fixes up the translation. But there is a story to follow. There is is a good story to follow. The characters have interesting struggles. I love the detail that went into the game's backgrounds. There's so much work went into that, clearly. Maybe the battle system's a little plain. Uh, what are you going to do? Soundtrack is great. Uh, maybe it could be, uh, maybe it's a little bit MIDI heavy, but it still has that structure that's fantastic. Yeah, I think that 7, it deserves its spot. Yeah, I think we were talking about how in Final Fantasy IV... It was the, you know, the Final Fantasy that we could pick up anytime, anyplace. I think Final Fantasy VII is kind of like that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy IV are usually my first choices for picking up an RPG that I just kind of want to, a comfort RPG. You just kind of want to go through without thinking too hard. They're the, the top choices by far. Yeah, you can just, I don't know, it goes down easy. As it, it does. It really goes down easy. Even six, which I love the most, does not go down nearly as easy as seven and four. Okay, that is it for this week's episode of Acts of the Blood God. Thanks for listening. I'm sad that we didn't talk much about Games Done Quick, which was happening uh, the week that we were really re- recording this episode. I don't know how much you watched of it, Nadia, but there were some good ones, including a run through Wand of Gamelon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, with everything we've been doing, how busy it's been, I haven't been able to settle down and watch too many of the runs. I might bring them up next week, actually, if I can, because there's a... Uh, Gosh, someone did a run of Wild Arms in like an hour, and mm. I want to look at that. Yeah, there was a Wild Arms run, which is very much in your wheelhouse, Nadia. And we, yes. we might have to add that game to the Pantheon at some point. Oh, we should. We absolutely should. And also, what else? Oh, yeah, there was a Golden Sun run. Yeah, and uh, the community for Golden Sun, which is very active and very lonely for a new game, they went wild over that. Indeed. Okay, thank you to everybody who's been listening, and especially thank you to our patrons um, at the $5, $10, $50, and $100 level. You guys are amazing, and you are the ones who are making this podcast possible. If you want to be a patron and you want to hear every episode an hour a week early and ad-free, not an hour early and ad-free, 
In addition to being able to access our Television of the Blood God miniseries and our Pantheon of the Blood God monthly episode, you should go over to patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. As I already mentioned, our Discord, it's bumping, Nadia. It is bumping. And I was just talking about uh, Ring Fit with some people in there when before we started recording and how Ring Fit will kill your family. <laughs> okay. And if you enjoy the podcast, please make sure to leave a review. We really appreciate your feedback. I'm on Twitter at the underscore capot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Our Twitter feed for X the Blood God is at Blood God Pod. We're also on Instagram for some reason. And we have a Twitch feed, twitch.tv slash TV. We'll be back next week for even more RPG goodness, including the return of the console RPG quest. I'm very excited. It's about Ooh. time we brought back that segment. But until then, for Nadia myself, and for you, the wonderful community who makes this all possible, thanks for listening, and happy adventuring. <laughs>